Welcome to the podcast of New Creation Christian Center. I am Pastor Marquise Franklin, and I am excited that you would take the time to listen to our latest sermons and what God is doing in this ministry. New Creation Christian Center is in Seattle, led by Pastor Harold and Annis Franklin. And our statement is, come as you are and be transformed by the word of God, as stated in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now, I don't know what you're going through, but I want you to be encouraged by the word of God that is going to be shared today. Check it out and share it with somebody that may need it. Now, let's get into this week's message. Things that we go through, we just have to stand. Amen? The Bible says in uh, Ephesians 6, when the, uh, he's talking about, let me go to that real quickly, talking about the armor of God. You guys all know that passage, right? It says, finally, my brethren, <clears throat> be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, everybody say stand, against the wiles of the devil. Now you know what the wiles are, right? The schemes, the plots, the plans. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the even evil day and having done all to stand what does it say stand just like the song says after you've done all you can you just stand you stand on his promise you stand on the word you stand in the midst of opposition you know i was i was excited to hear what brother art testified yesterday and for those that haven't met art he was uh, here the the gentleman that had the uh, clean shaven head and he was saying how they had spread lies about him at his work and he took the word and he used it and he says, they're going to see the God that I serve. And they turned it around. And he, nothing came of what they tried to accuse him of. And that's what it means to stand. It's hard to stand when people have accused you falsely. But that's where God comes in the biggest. Is when you have not done anything wrong. Amen. See, when we've done something wrong, sometimes we reap the, the uh, consequences of our bad actions but God still can have mercy if we confess what we've done and ask him to forgive us amen so we have to remember that in the midst of everything we go through we have to stand and I'll leave the song alone for now so I remember when I was in school everybody said that was a long time ago especially when I was in high school. And in high school, they talked about this war and it was called the 100-year war. How many of you guys remember that story in high school? So it was, it's, not a, it's not an American story, it's a European, because obviously uh, America has never been in a 100-year war. But this was a war between England and France. 
and it happened in the 13 started in 1367 i believe or 1337 and ended up in in 1453 now they didn't fight constantly for a hundred years but they actually did fight three different wars that totaled 81 years and it was all about who would rule the kingdom of france if you go back in your history a lot of the kings married off to other monarchies and usually it was fine because there was an heir that followed but in this particular situation the french king died without a male heir and the english king who was the direct descendant of the french king claimed rights to the throne of france and therefore the war began and I say that not because that's an interesting point. And by the way, France won. That's why we still have a French country. Because if we didn't, then we'd have a big, <laughs> bigger swath for England. But I say that because sometimes a battle is long. Now, hopefully we don't have to fight 81 years before we get victory. Everybody should say amen because we don't want to be fighting at 81. However, the Bible does tell us that there were men that were in their 80s and they were still fighting. Amen? So let's look at what happens when the battle is longer than expected. So let's go to, well, I'm not going to go to this, but we know that the, the beginning of faith, everybody say the beginning of faith, it all starts with who? God, of course, but who did he pick to bring the covenants through? Abraham. Abraham. Everybody say Abraham. So Abraham is a man. God visits him. He tells him that he's going to give him this possession to, for his heirs. And as he's talking to Abraham, guess what? Abraham has no children. All he has is a servant in his household. And that's the one that will inherit all his property. But God is telling him that he's going to have descendants. Everybody say descendants. So he has a promise that he's going to have children. And the Bible says that Abraham, when he received this promise, was 75 years old. And then God renews the promise later on. When he's 86, after his first child is born, he says, you're going to have a son. And Abraham is a little bit confused. Everybody say, a little confused. You might say, well, why, Pastor? Say, why, Pastor? Because he has a son. <laughs> he has a son now. But God speaks of another son. Huh? And he says, well, he's probably thinking like all of us would have been thinking. He says, well, I have a son, and we worked hard for that one. <laughs> and now he's saying, this is not the one? And I'm 86 now? And but you might say, well, Pastor, how do you know this? Because he says to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. You remember he said that? Huh? You guys know that story? 
He said, I don't want to have to go through this again. <laughs> Let Ishmael be the one. He says, I will bless Ishmael because he's your son, but he's not the promised one. Everybody say Ishmael is not the promised one. And this is to all our friends that think he was. Amen. So Isaac is the promised one and Isaac is still 14 years away. So for 25 years, Abraham has to trust God to deliver on his promise. Now, when Abraham received the promise, he did not think it would take 25 years. Amen? I mean, there's no indication that he thought, okay, I'm going to have a son and I'll be 100 years old. There's no, he's not thinking like that. When God makes a promise, you say, okay, it's going to happen. And this is what happens a lot of times. A lot of times God will say something to us. He promises to do something in our life. And we think it's going to happen tomorrow. Everybody say tomorrow. But see, everything doesn't happen tomorrow. Some promises take preparation. Amen? And I don't know what the preparation was to get this promise through. I know part of it had to do with Sarah because she did not believe she could have a child. She was 10 years younger than Abraham. So she was 65 and we know when the baby was born she was 90. Well past Childbearing years, years, right? All women. <laughs> Nowadays, they tell you, you, you better get all that you're going to have before you're 40. Huh? But she's 90. <laughs> so she's double the age. But the promise was coming, but the battle was longer than expected. You might say, well, what's the battle that Abraham had to fight? The battle is to trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. You might say, well, is that a battle? Ask yourself, is that a battle for you? Is that, have you been promised something by God and it hasn't come to pass yet? And you're now wondering if it's going to come to pass? That's the battle. Amen? So we see this. When the battle is longer than expected, you've got to stand. Stand on the promise. Don't lose track of the promise. Then we see again that 430 years or 400 years, the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. That's in Exodus 12, verse 40. 400 years, and this is where a lot of the, the people that talk about African slavery, they try to equate this with the Israeli slavery. And that's, you know, that's fine if they want to do that. I don't think it, it's, 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 it's not quite, they try to use 1690 or 19 as the date, right? You guys, right? I mean, everybody knows the 1619 project. But slavery, first of all, America didn't even begin until 1776, so... 
that's out. But there always has been slavery. I mean, we're looking at it here. The children of Israel were in slavery. Uh, the European countries enslaved people. The Romans, I mean, I think there was a time where the Roman slaves outnumbered the free people. Most slaves were captured in wars and they were uh, then enslaved or they were indentured servants, meaning they owed money and they couldn't pay, so they had to work the payments off. That's where a lot of the slavery, but there's been slavery forever. I told somebody, as we have to stop acting as if America created the institution of slavery and stop acting as if it originated here. It didn't. It came from Great Britain. Great Britain brought it here. Okay, are you with me here? But that's a little bit of an as a side note. So 400 years, God promised Abraham the land. Now obviously Abraham is long gone. Isaac is long gone. Jacob is long gone. Joshua, Joseph, all of them are long gone. Joshua's not long gone. Joshua's coming. But the promise, and, but God told them it would take 400 years. And if you remember why he took, told them it would take that long, does anybody know why it would take 400 years for them to get the land? Anybody remember why? He said because the people in the land were not yet ripe for judgment. He gave them 400 years to turn around from idolatry and they wouldn't do it. And that's why they were able to inherit the land. It was a judgment. You go back and look at it, he says it specifically. The land is not ready because the people were gonna get given a space and time before judgment was gonna fall. That's how gracious God is. Amen? Amen. But it's still a long wait for a promise. Amen? And then we all know that when Moses was born, Moses has some kind of an indication that he is supposed to be a, a deliverer. Now we know Moses was born, he was raised in Pharaoh's household, and he comes out to see his brethren, the children of Israel, so he identifies with them, he knows that he's part of that tribe, that group. And he defends them. We all know that he killed the Egyptian who had struck the uh, Israeli or the, uh, his Hebrew brother because they weren't Israelis yet. And so the Bible says, and I think it's in Hebrew, uh, or, uh, Acts, when Stephen gives the, the message, he thinking that they would recognize that he would be their redeemer was rejected by his brethren that were disputing that he was trying to judge and help. And so as he found out that he had murdered, he took off. And he thought that his call was uprooted. But there was something in Moses that knew that he was supposed to be the chosen redeemer. But, everybody say but. but. The battle was long. He waited 40 years thinking it wasn't going to happen. He's 80 now. Most of us believe that we're long past our prime at 80. Amen? 
Shoot, most people think they're past their prime at 60, 70. But Moses is at 80 and God comes to him and says, go, show my people, deliver my people out of bondage. Now, I know, I, I think, I, I have to be careful because I don't want to be presumptuous, but I know why God waited for 40 years is so that Moses could see that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. See, Moses actually probably thought he was going to raise up an army and then battle the Egyptians in, in a fight because he was young, he was primed, and he was ready for a fight. Wasn't he? He's, he's already killed one. And he's just trying to say, all we got to do is we're outnumbering them now. We can take this thing. But God said, no, that's not how it's going to happen. So he had to go on the back of the desert, lose hope, get it back, and then be refocused to know what God is going to do. And notice that God didn't use any weapons, human weapons. He used his spirit to judge and bring the children of Israel out. Not a weapon did they use. Amen? They never, they never shot an arrow. They never threw a spear. But they came out with everything they needed. Amen? That's what happens when you stand on his promise. He can do things beyond what you think can be done. And then we know that even after they came out of bondage, there was a 40-year wilderness period. Everybody say wilderness period. So not only does Moses have to wait 40 years to be prepped to lead the children, then he has another 40 years before he could even go towards the promised land and then he ends up losing out because of his own actions. And then there takes at least almost 30 years to get the promised land. You might say, Pastor, where are you getting these numbers from? Well, remember uh, Joshua and Caleb were the only two survivors, right? And you would expect that Joshua said he's 85 when he's about to take the mountain. So you figure Joshua is close to in his 80s as well, right? Is that good math? And Joshua dies at 110 years old. And they still have not finished possessing the promised land. So he took 30, almost 30 years of his life possessing the promise that God had given them. The battle is long sometimes. But I'm going to, as we go through this message, I'm going to point out some signposts that kept them motivated. Amen? Everybody says signposts keep us motivated. Do you guys know what I mean by signposts? You guys, how many have driven down the road, going down, yeah, I know you have, taken road trips? Yeah, that's right. You look for signposts to indicate that you're going the right direction. Amen? And God, everybody say God, God. gives signposts. Even though we have to wait, he gives us indications that you're on the right path. Amen? And 
there's also in the New Testament many stories that we've all known where people had to wait to get healed. The woman with the issue of blood. Let's go there, Luke 8, 43. And this is for people who are still waiting for healing. And I don't know why. Well, I do know why they had to wait. Because Jesus was coming. Amen. But really, there's no reason for us to wait. Say it. Say that. There's no reason for us to wait. Because Jesus has come. Say, Jesus has come. We're just halfway through this sermon, but our prayer is that God is already speaking a dynamic word to you personally. But don't keep it to yourself. We need you to testify. We want to hear what God is doing. Give us a call or text us at 425-686-8197 to let us know what God is doing. If you're on Facebook, contact us at facebook.com slash newcreationcc or on Twitter at newcreationwa. Now, let's tune in for the second half of this sermon. We all know the story, it says 843, now I, a woman having a flow of blood or an issue of blood in the old King James Version, for how many years does it say? Everybody say it. 12 years. And notice who had spent all her livelihood on physicians. So she's going to the doctor. Now, I don't know what they're doing to her back then. Because, you know, back then they did what's called bloodletting. And quite frankly, they didn't stop do bloodletting until the early 1900s. They actually thought taking your blood was a, a measure to heal you. But thank God they, they realized that wasn't working. But anyway, so she's going to the physician. She spent all her money. You mean to tell me that medical bills were expensive back then? <laughs> Just joking, but not really. Um, <laughs> and could not, she spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. And she came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately the flow of her blood stopped. So 12 years it took her to get healed because she found out that there was a master that could heal. Amen? And then we go to the woman that was in the synagogue, Luke 13, 10 through 17. So just go up a few chapters there. 10 through 17. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. It says here, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. Everybody say 18 years. And it was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. We've seen people like that. Right? I mean, we've seen people, their backs, 
had problems. They were bent over. But when she saw, Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the rulers of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, Sabbath, and he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. Again, this is, this is how you get when you move away from looking for God. You look for rules. Everybody say rules. See, rules are okay because we need rules to live off of. But rules don't trump the relationship. Say rules don't trump the relationship. See, that's what happens when you become legalistic. Rules are more important than the relationship. Here Jesus does a great miracle on somebody that has been sick for 18 years. The battle was longer than she expected. And when he heals her, somebody wants to make the battle go longer. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? There's some people that want your battle to be extended. But you have to take what the master says and do what he says, not what others say. Amen? And Jesus answers them and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. You see, sometimes you have to just do what God says. And it, he can take care of the situation. But, let me go to the last one. It was the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. And I won't turn there, but he was there for how many years? Anybody remember? He would go there, John 6, or John 5, 2 through 9. Actually, let's go there. How long was he there for? John 2 through 9. 38 years. 38 years, that's a long time to be living with a sickness. Amen? It says, now there is a, in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in the Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been, had been in it, that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? 
The sick man answered, Sir, I have no man to put me in the, into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And it was another Sabbath that he healed. And they had an issue with that one. And the, one man said, I, I don't know if it was, uh, it was another story about the blind man, but I think... Uh, they said, this man's not from God, because if he, if he was from God, he would keep the Sabbath. How, that's how rules can cloud your vision. They're one about keeping the Sabbath, and Jesus just raised this man that's been sick for 38 years out of his sickbed, and they're worried about a rule? Are you with me here? Rules are, we're supposed to obey the law. The Bible says that. Obey the law of the land. But some rules are not to be obeyed when they contradict what God is trying to do. Amen? And now we're faced with being quarantined for the last seven months. And I'm not saying we don't need to obey this rule. But I'm saying sometime the battle is longer than expected. Do you remember that when we went on to the first quarantine, how long they said it would last? Anybody? Two weeks. They said this will be only for two weeks. This is month seven. <laughs> That's a long two weeks. But I'm saying the battle is longer than expected. So we have to remember as we go through all this, what does all this mean, Pastor? What are you trying to tell us? Why did it take so long for these people to receive their promises? Well, like I said, some of them had to be molded. Some of them had to be molded into what God was going to do to get them to be what they want, he needed them to be. Patience is described as a work of perfection. Amen? The Bible says, let patience have its perfect work so that you, this is James chapter 1, you may be what? Say perfect. I know we don't like, we like to retranslate that to mature, but perfect just means mature. It's not that you don't make mistakes. It's you learn to walk in the spirit because the spirit is perfecting you. Amen? So he says, let per patience have its perfect work. Now, I'm not saying that sickness, you have to stay in your sickness because God is perfecting you through sickness. That is a teaching of the church, but I don't believe that's an accurate teaching. I believe that God wants to heal us today, now. There are no limits to God's wanting to heal us. We have to just get our hearts available to be healed. I said this when we talked about hindrances to faith. So much of what we hear now contradicts our faith, it, or pushes our faith away from believing God for healing. Matter of fact, and I'm going to say this, and this, is, this may be controversial, but it's not intended to be. In America, for the most part, 
the ministry of healing was not widely accepted in this country. There are Christians, no doubt about that. But when it comes to the supernatural, most American Christians have backed away from the supernatural. And it wasn't until the Azusa Street outpouring that you saw a wide sweeping move of God restoring signs, wonders, and miracles. And for those that don't know the Azusa Street outpouring that happened in 19, I think it was 1907. Huh? 1906? Okay, six or seven. And what happened was in Azusa, California, in a barn, a man, can't think of his name, I, it, it escapes me all of a sudden, but I read this book, I can't, I don't come. Yeah, Seymour, actually, was it Seymour? No, it wasn't, Seymour was there, but it was. Bartleman was there, but there was another guy that was one eye as a black guy. But anyway, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and from that move, he began to lay hands on people, and God was started to heal people. So what I'm saying is, a lot of times, even in church, we don't, we're not taught to believe for the supernatural. We're taught like the woman that had an issue of blood. If you're sick, what did she do? She went to the doctor. And then nobody's saying don't go to the doctor, so don't start that. <laughs> I'm not a Christian scientist. For those, maybe some of you don't even know what that means, but they don't believe in going to the doctor. But you can go to the doctor, but don't tie Jesus' hands up because you went to the doctor. And don't take the doctor's word as the gospel. They're there to help, but he's the true helper. Amen? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wondrous face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what we're supposed to keep our eyes on. It's not that we don't use what is available, but we keep our eyes on him and he brings us through. Amen? Amen. But as we do this, and I'm getting ready to close, Remember, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, and then verses 12 through 17, and then we'll be closing, and we'll pick this up next time. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 was, follows the faith chapter. It talks about by faith, Abraham had a son. By faith, uh, they, they came out of the promise, came to the promised land. By faith, he opened the Red Sea and all that. But then it says, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, everybody say, lay aside. Every weight, come on, say it with me, every weight, it's up there. And the sin which so easily ensnares us. So what is he trying to say? Don't let the weights of life and the sins that you commit keep you from receiving the promise that we just read about in chapters 11. 
Don't allow them to be the stumbling block to the promise that God has made to you. Amen? And they said, and let us run with endurance, which is another word for standing. The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then jumping down to, what did I say, 7 through, 12 through 17. And he says this, therefore, as you're waiting, as the battle is being extended, strengthen your hand, the hands which hang down. And the feeble knees. Well, what does he mean by the hands that hang down? Well, Michael and had, has testified about it. It's when you get discouraged. Your hands. It's like this. Your body language. Huh? You know what I mean? When, that, when something happens and it just takes the wind out, you go, you know, you get bad news and it's like, it's like a kick in the stomach without the kick, but you feel it nonetheless. He says, strengthen that. Don't allow that to bring you down. Bad news comes, but do like David said, did. He encouraged himself in the Lord. That was when his family was all taken away at Ziklag. He encouraged himself. They all wanted to stone him, but instead of walking around, poor me, I'm on the, oh, why does everything happen to me? He said he encouraged himself in the Lord. What does that mean? He said, I'm not going to let this discourage me. Where's the ephod so I can find out what I'm supposed to do? That's what he did. Let me ask God what we're supposed to do. Are we supposed to stand here and sulk? Are we supposed to do something? And God says, get up and go after him because I'll get them all back for you. And he said, and, and he said, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> and he got up and he went and he got it all back. Amen. And everybody was happy then, but not when they lost everything. Are you with me here? And it says, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Now, what does that mean to be lame? It doesn't always just mean that you're limping. You can be lame or disabled, but not physically. You're disabled means you're not progressing. You're not doing what God is telling you to do. You're allowing your circumstances to tell you not to go when he told you to go. Amen? That's what he means. Straighten the path. In other words, get up and walk the path that God has already laid out for you. And he says, pursue peace with all people. Mm, mm, mm. That means fix some things. Fix some relationships. And he says, and holiness. Uh-oh. Without which no one will see the Lord. Well, what is Holiness. We always think it's a dress code. But holiness is your lifestyle. Separation from sin. Speaking those things that are true. Living a lifestyle that is unblemished by the world. Amen? This is what keeps you. This is how we get what we are believing God for. Looking 
It says, without uh, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of, of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by, many, by this many become defiled. Oh boy, bitterness? What's bitterness? What does it mean to be bitter about something? Huh? Sour, not just bitter the taste. Yeah, you're, you're, you hate people inside is really what bitterness is. Or you hate that somebody cheated you or you missed out on something that somebody took from you. You're mad about it. And you don't want to forgive them. And you're going to carry this. That's bitterness. And he says that will defile you. Unless there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, for one morsel of food, sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So he's telling you, this is how you go through when the battle has been extended. Get rid of the junk. And I don't know about you, when I go through things, I just check myself. I say, Lord, have I been doing stuff that I shouldn't be doing? Have I not been kind to Annas? That's the first check for those of us that are married. Check to see if you're treating your spouse right. Because if you're not, you need to get that right first. Because that will hinder everything you do. There was a, a guy I met. He, he was a Christian. He's, he's coming back because we're praying for him. But one principle he has not forgotten, and he's not even in a marital relationship, but when he wants to do something in a business sense, he goes to his girlfriend and says, just agree with me, and we can do this. He's not even in right standing the way he should be, but he understands agreement. And that's what we have to understand. If we want God to do something in our lives and we're not in agreement with our spouse, it's not going to happen. That's the first area that God will shore up before you, he launches you out into anything. So if you know you got issues, then you just need to fix them. Amen? I heard this and then I did say I'm closing, right? In a marriage, it's about communion not just communication. Communion is a union. Communication is the exchange of information. You can get that right, but you got to get the communion part right. Once you're communing together, then the communication will come right. Amen? All right, we're done. Let's, let's close. We thank you for listening to today's sermon, and we pray that you are impacted to become the new creation that God desires. We at New Creation Christian Center invite you to come join us for service Saturday at 7 p.m. or Sunday at 11 a.m. located at 5150 South Cloverdale Street, Seattle, Washington. Also, feel free to visit us online at newcreationwa.org. New Creation Christian Center, the path to genuine life where you can come as you are and be transformed by the word of God.